Transplanter RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and my cast is as follows. C. Thomas plays Oka Hien, an Osamar Bloodhunter. Max Guo plays Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra Artificer. Erica Flaidlin plays V. Nakshirzo, an Elf Sorcerer. Hamna Shahid plays Jaron Kader, a Dragonborn Rogue. Dare Hickman plays Gentle, a Triton Monk. Quinn B. Rodriguez plays Sidlali, a Changeling Cleric. And Austin Knight plays Abiku Ishtar, a Reborn Goliath Ranger. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include fantasy violence, gore, blood, monsters and monstrosity, body horror, violence against a dog-like creature, references to hunting animals, loud impact sound effects, heights, falling, fire, and complex and complicated relationships. Arc 5, Episode 14 Dust of Angels on Here Dress from Indecent Exposure by Brody Parish Craig. Darkness presses in, the cold wind of winter whispering and gasping and howling through the valley in the shadow of the Ogumor River Highland. The flame red light from your torches flickers illuminating an empty expanse of grass and field for miles and miles and miles. And then a curtain of sea-black dust descends upon the four of you, sticking to your eyelashes like vagrant snowflakes. This dust swirls Black as putrefied blood, black as woven midnight, black as the depthless abyss of void beyond stars, a feeling of immense vacuous pressure emanates from the obsidian unknown beyond your torches like the arrival of a collapsing star. The weave bends, quivers, misshapes, contorts in horrified reaction to the presence of the empty monster hunting, the god shard of Galtanger hunting the four of you now, and this swell, this smell of nothing, of oblivion, of dead space suspended between antimatter collides against your pores. The hunter and its hound are here. Its unspeakable form, taller than a Kyrian hill, wider than the mouth of the Urk River, distends this black, empty space beyond the darkness, and all of you see now, hunkering into existence, a vaguely humanoid shape, two legs, the size of cathedral pillars, a torso looming out of range from the faded black, and you also see the hound drooling black tar from gnashing teeth, pits of nebulous fire burning in sunken eye sockets. Abiku, Dewey, V, roll initiative. V got a 13. Uh, All right, 13 from V. 14 from Dewey. 14 from Dewey, beat out V by one, Abiku. 21. Whoa, okay, Abiku. Top of the order, you are sort of like at the end, right, of this line of torches, flanked on either side by this flickering flame. You can see like the huge lumbering, towering form of the hunter with its hound by its calves, sort of stepping out of the darkness into the dim flickering torchlight circumference in front of you. Boom! 
The earth rattles. Boom! The ground shakes. Boom! The air and the weave quiver all around you as the hunter and its hound approaches. What do you do? I am going to shoot the hound with my bow okay. and hope to... Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that first. It's the first... first Shoot thing. it! It's a 21. That will not quite hit. Would you like to roll damage anyway, or would you like to roll all your attacks first? I'm assuming you're hitting it more than once. It, yeah, I will try a okay. second attack first. Cool. Sounds good. And 28? The 28 would just hit. The 21 would not. I will take... The 28, because for my ID, I yep. only need at least one to get Only need through. one. Okay, perfect. So uh, uh, roll damage, I assume, or are you doing a special thing? I will roll damage. 10 damage to the hound. You're trying to draw yeah. aggro? Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to like hit the hound to like, get it to look at me. And I'm going to cast a spell. Ubiku's going to crouch to the ground because we set up like a, a pit for me to take the hound to. And say, sky above... And then below, light the spark in my heart as I cast Ashladorian Stride and my feet catch a flame. My movement speed increases by 20 feet. My movement speed is now 55 feet. It does other stuff if I move near things, but I'm not near it. And I'm going to book it 55 feet, like leaving like these like fiery footsteps as I run, trying to like draw this thing's attention. That would be my turn. At the end of my turn, Sun gets a turn. Okay, yeah, the the ground lights up with like fiery after images of your footprints. Like the flames erupt into existence around your ankles and you back off, right? When we saw you like shoot the hound, right? Like you had strung your bowstring, right? Your muscles quivered and tensed and you let loose like a magical arrow that sort of like ribboned itself into existence along the bow. Where does it hit it on the hound? I think it hits it on the nose because that really pisses dogs off. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, like the tip of this like glowing arrow like lodges squarely into the shadowy kind of nebulous tar-like nose and it hits like a arrow, a crossbow bolt thudding into wood and Abiku, even as you say your spell and your feet light up, you see the arrow kind of sink like prehistoric animal getting trapped in like a, a pit of sludge and tar. Like the arrow just starts like sinking into its nose, but you have gotten its aggro, my friend. It lumbers its mad Massive head, its head easily the size of a forest boulder, like like groans it around, and those like dark pits of eyes with this glowing black fire within its crenellations just turn onto you, and it lets out a, (laughs) uh, and it's gonna begin to lumber after you. Uh, But that's not before sun gets to go. So tell me what sun does. As it starts lumber after me, I run and I'm like sun now, and you see suns aglow in like right outside the torchlight. And you see their maw open and their maw aglow with this like crackling electrical energy. And I need the hound to make a dexterity saving throw, please. Ooh, against what? 17. It misses. It rolled pretty low. So do your your thing. Nice. It will be 8d6. I will use this roller. That is a lot of sixes. 27 lightning damage. Okay. Oh, (laughs) where is sun blasting it? Sun is blasting it in the face like as it like turns to look at me sun blasts the hound in the face and then sun like stands up and like starts flying alongside me because we're trying to like really it away piss this thing off and bring it towards us yes what color is the lightning orange Okay, particulates of black dust sort of shiver and tremble and begin to vibrate as like electricity, orange static, like crackles around Sun's like bony maw and like the sharp like bony fangs like studded within within his jaw, opens wide and like, <laughs> we see that from the hound's perspective, just like a massive ball at the, the helm of Sun's throat of just like, a, almost like a miniature sun that then crackles like plasma and just like a massive beam of lightning like blasts the hound like square on right in the face uh, and the hound just lets out like snaps his big jaw like from side to side i think we see a snap snap as it snaps its black teeth towards sun but sun is too wily too fast too quick almost like a little like a fox at the feet of like a massive mastiff dodging its strikes and its bites as the hound turns around and begins to lumber after the two of you as you stride away from the fight is that all you do i think that's it Sun flies 40 feet and I've run to 55. So we're like about, we like keep up with each about other. About even, like yeah. Pull this thing towards us. Okay. Uh, and I shout, cause I know the others hear me. All right, uh, it's working. 
yes. And on Abiku's like voice ringing out over this flat plateau, it's working, right? Emanating out across like the cold, frosty air. We're gonna pan over to where Dewey is. Dewey is up in the sky, flapping furiously, trying to get a good view on Abiku luring this dog away from the hunter. He's sort of cloaked in the darkness because he's not wearing anything that's like reflective. He's going to use hypnotic pattern. I think it's like a shower of pyrotechnics, which means the hunter needs to make a wisdom save. Okay. Uh, it's not very wise. Against what? Uh, 18. It's really strong and really big, but it's not very wise. Ooh. Okay, it fails. Okay. I think the hunter is just like <laughs> absolutely caught up with this display of twinkling miniature flames that just somehow appeared in the middle of the air. And so the hunter is charmed for the duration, and that means that its speed is zero and it is incapacitated. Until it takes damage, right? Until it takes damage, yes. How do you cast it? Are you using like a special invention you made or? Yeah, I've created <laughs> I've created <laughs> what is essentially like a light projector, <laughs> but like <laughs> alchemical in nature. Okay. Uh, is it like an orb or do you like wheel out <laughs> like a TV on like a TV stand with it's a projector on it? Because I'm in the air. Okay. Uh, yeah, you hold out like a little like box, right? Or like a device of some sort and you fiddle, you fiddle with the knobs and be like you fiddle with like switches or dials that there might be on it. Uh, we see a lens like flick into existence. There's like a little vial of alchemical fluid suspended in the center that like lights it and like keeps it going. Uh, and like the fluid like glows bright. It like passes through a series of tubings on this device's like side. All of the tubes like converge on the lens and the lens lights up, right? And spitting out of the lens are like little crackles of fireworks. V, at the base of this hunter's massive feet, you just sort of see like 50 feet up into the air, pew, 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 lights up its face. Has no eyes, so you don't know if it looks stupefied or not, but it does stop because it was like advancing toward the torchlight and has stopped. Its head is like cocked up in the direction of these exploding fireworks in its face. And you notice, Dewey, something else. Actually, let's see how much of it you notice. Roll perception for me. A 21. <laughs> where the fireworks come off from the blooming flowers of light and flame, where the light itself touches the hunter's face, you see like dust sizzle, like sizzle off into the dust that's just ballooning off of its skin. You notice that. I hastily look down at the ground for B, and I assume she's like readying some fire, and I'm like, I point at it, and I like give a big thumbs up. <laughs> Speaking of which, we pan down to V as you give a feathery thumbs up, V down at the base of the hunter's feet. What do you do? I think V looks up. <laughs> she sees way up there, like this little dot in the sky of where Dewey is fluttering up there. It's probably standing next to Rev, and she just gives Rev a little, like, peck on the cheek and, like, see you afterwards. She's going to use a bonus action to sprout herself some dragon wings. First what? off, <laughs> rule number one, when you can grow dragon wings, grow dragon rings. So You've I think, never done this in your life, V. How do you know you can do this? Well, I think V has been, after that last fight, V has been sort of like channeling some energy. It's going to be very magical based as if like her whole body's like growing some green stuff. She wants to get up there. She can see Dewey doing some stuff. She sees his little sparks and she really wants to get up there close. And it's just like she feels in her guts, like almost coming from Scott and Nectus way down in the gut or around the heart, like deep down this sort of like whooshing feeling that like then like blossoms out of her and boom just hits her as she like sprouts these wings. She I don't think she was trying necessarily. I think she was preparing herself to maybe do some some high powered fireball type ish damage. But uh, she instead feels herself just boosh. These energy of green comes out of her back, a little more bird esque. But they're they've got leathery webbing in them and stuff. They're they're a hybrid of stuff. They're they're unique and they're glowing green. And she just like arches her back and she feels that and she's like, I am a goddess and like jumps up and flies up in the air. 
And she like, she gets up there pretty high, not all the way up where Dewey is, but probably halfway up. But she's much closer now to see all this, these sparklers jumping off of the face and Dewey's flapping his wings. And she's like, oh my gosh. And like, she's like the equivalent of when you're treading water, but with the wings, she's like, oh my gosh. She's like, ah, I said I was going to light this thing up. Let's light this up. And she like takes a little scoop of purple energy out of her diamond and throws it and casts emulation. At this thing, it needs to make a dex save against the 17, a dex save. So many saves, so little time. It fails. <laughs> I'm not rolling well. So it's going to take full damage. And I'm going to use a sorcery point to re-roll up to four, which is my charisma modifier. 25 points of fire damage. It gets engulfed in flame and it casts light up to 30 feet away. And another 30 feet of dim light away from that. So its entire form goes up like a fucking wicker man? The entire form is engulfed in flame. Burning Man? Grab Burning Man. Yeah, I have have an image for you. As the glowing green wings rip out of your back, sprouting from your scapulae, one beat, another beat. You fly up to where Dewey is and you thrust like this globule of magic from the diamond embedded in the center of your chest armor. And for like a moment, it's almost like plasma rolling off of the surface of an ocean. Like it just sort of rolls off the surface of this thing's smooth face. And for a second, nothing happens. But then there's like a rumbling noise like on the earth. And Abiku, you hear this rumbling noise. At first you're like, oh my God, is that thunder? Is the herd coming like from behind us? And then you realize what it is. It's the roar of fire purple and emerald green tongues of flame lick up from the base of its feet and like roll up like an oil fire just immediately just goes up like like a pillar right if you've ever seen an oil fire start up it's like calves up its waist igniting its fingers all the way up its wrists its forearms its its biceps right up to its shoulders like up across its like abdominal region past its torso up its neck and finally its head and it's lit up like a fucking pillar of snow on Adolin. Abiku, you in particular, as you stare at this thing, are struck by an image, uh, a memory of like vestiges of Adolin celebrations in Morose, where you see like pillars of ice doused in oil, then lit on fire to celebrate like the welcoming of the new year. And that's what you think of when you see this thing. It's like a massive void person on fire. And the fire is not even red. It's purple and green. And it's just sort of like snaps its head. The hypnotic pattern breaks. I think it shatters and it moves, right? kind of slowly, almost writhing, not in pain, really, uh, but in just response to the fact that it's been lit up. V and Dewey, the two of your eyes burn because suddenly it's very, very, very bright. It's extremely purple and green here. And I need the two of you to make your next deck saves at disadvantage. Like I need to do a deck save right now or just in yes. the future? Yes, oh, I'm, asking, oh. I'm asking you right now. Uh, a nine. A nine? Twelve. Twelve. Okay, that is a fail from both of you. That's okay. All that means is you'll take full damage. Uh, so you both are going to take 23 points of bludgeoning damage Oof. and five points of fire damage. As this thing's now on fire hand sweeps out and it slaps both of you through the air. Uh, and I need the two of you to make a strength save. Nat one. Ugh. I got a nine, which I assume is of a similar result. Nine is a failure, not as bad as a nat one. Uh, Dewey, you're unable to maintain your position in the air right by its head. It slams you, and I think you fly through the air. You feel like a couple of your bones crack a little. All the wind's knocked out of your lungs. Everything is on fire and, and, and rolling and moving like you're on a roller coaster. And tell me where you land up. Because the slap is coming from, like, a side, the side that the arm is on, uh, I think Dewey ends up to far left of the hunter. Uh, mm. I, think he, I think he like falls towards the ground because there's no way he's able to maintain his flight while being Yeah, slapped. you whirl through the air in like a diagonal, poof, a trail of burning fire and smoke in your wake. You did fail, but you didn't get a nat one. I don't think you smack onto the ground if you don't want to, uh, but tell me how you like at the last minute, like avoid hitting the ground. I think by sheer luck, the tumbling that Dewey's been doing in the air, has his feet hit the ground first. And so he slides back a little bit, but on his feet. So 
he can maintain eyesight of the hunter. Yeah, like these ruts of like dirt and like packed snow, like kick up as you like drag your talons through the earth oh, and you like catch yourself, right? And you like look up at this like massive hunter that's just blown up. V, you are not so lucky. You are smacked by this thing out of the air and you hit the ground from like 50, 100, 120 feet. Like it's, it's a ridiculous amount. So you are gonna take a little bit of additional damage. Just, okay, just a smidge, just a smidge. It's only 23 more points of force damage. You can take it, you can take it. You got this. Uh, as you smack onto the ground and I think poof, there's an explosion of like frozen cracked hardened earth, right? Spears of earth uh, and ground and rock and dirt kick up uh, as there's just sort of like a V crumpled in this crater. And I think we see your glowing wings, they cushion the blow somewhat behind you, uh, just sort of uh, like crumpled a little bit. How you doing V? I think V, she's, that, that hurt a little bit, that hurt. And she just like, <laughs> she like coughs a little bit as she's still trying to like recover. I, I'm not so much of a goddess. <laughs> not so much of a goddess. <laughs> uh, you actually hear a V uh, as Rev, I think runs over. Are you okay? Uh, yeah, uh, just, the wind knocked out of me. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Uh, Here, I don't want you to. I don't want you to almost get knocked out cold like last time. And Rev, your girlfriend, rests her big like hands on one shoulder and then on your abdomen, where maybe there's like some bruising forming, and you feel just like a gush of like life energy surge like through your nerves as she heals you for thirty points of damage. All of a sudden, you just see like B do the whole like kick back and like flip up onto her feet, like uh, <laughs> you know. Like yeah, sure. Well, oh, I assume you're better. Oh yeah, let's go. Let's Let fucking do this. Rev whirls around, right? Her feather cape fluttering in the wind. Uh, she thrusts out a hand, right? Grim into existence. The silver blade, shing, right? Like in front of her face, like reflecting like one golden eye, one black eye. She twirls Grim in one hand, holds it taut, right? Her muscles straining. And then she runs forward and slashes Grim across this thing's ankles blades of like black energy, like shoot out from uh, the blade part of Grim's scythe and just like cut through the fire and the flames and slice into this thing's like obsidian form. And this thing staggers backward a little. You see like one huge foot slowly pick up off the ground. It like rotates backward, almost like someone pedaling their bike backward and then like the earth shakes as it's like ankle digs into the ground, like trembles like a herd of rhinoceros stampeding across the valley. And it braces itself as like Rev's like attacks are knocking it backward. So as Rev continues to mount a frontal assault on this thing, it's time for this thing to act. Let's start with the hound. The hound, Abiku, has been chasing you and Sun this entire time. You see all this shit happening over your shoulder? You know what I mean? As you're like booking it as you're running and you just hear like from behind you, the snapping jaws of this hound, right? And like the low guttural growling of its voice. Pounding behind you. You swear to God, you can almost feel this thing's like oblivion tainted empty breath, like hot. The heat death of the universe hot, not even fire, like heat death hot, like on the back of your body, like fall over you. So I need you, I need you to just make me a, make me a, a constitution saving throw. I rolled a synthetic 20. That just makes the save. Uh, so I want you, I want you to choose. You want to take some damage? Uh, or do you want to take a special condition? Oh, I, I want to know the condition so bad, but I think damage. Because <laughs> do they scare you? Because they should. Okay, good. Uh, you, you're going to take... You're gonna take an easy 18 points of necrotic damage as right. the hot heat death breath on the back of your body seems to like sink into your pores and you realize what it's doing. Uh, it's also breathing like a breath onto you, but instead of like oh. fire or lightning or ice mm -hmm. or light, it's void. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like the emptiness between the stars eating away at you. Like it's almost not painful. You know what I mean? It's almost like watching yourself just disappear. And we just see like bits of Abiku's back, like a bit of like the back of your armor and your hair a little bit. And like some of your skin just floats up and just turns to dust and it's just gone, right? As it breathes out this breath against you just through the air as you take 18 points of necrotic. 
That's what the hound's gonna do. Sun was not in range of this, I think. It was targeting you. Uh, the hunter, we, we like, we zoom back to like this main battlefield surrounded by like a circumference of bright lit torches. After digging its heel in the ground, it like raises a massive burning on fire hand up and draws a now on fire bone spear uh, from its back. And it's gonna cock its like entire arm back and throw it at you, Dewey. So I need you to make a dexterity saving throw. 23. That is sufficient. Uh, so would you like to either take damage or a condition? Let me get that condition. All I right, guess. roll me a d4. Ooh, three. <laughs> okay, uh, so what happens is tell me how you like dodge out of the way of like the blast radius of this thing. I think Dewey's just like getting back on his feet brushing the, some of the dirt off of his legs and then he sees this enormous thing coming at him uh, and he just sort of like throws himself to the to one side you fling your feathery body off to the side as this like bone spear pummels into the earth like as huge as like a, a marble pillar in the senate house of dabathati this thing is fucking massive uh, but you you avoid all damage like you skitter out of the way maybe like you even dodge a couple of chunks of like debris that have kicked up but something you notice is that this particular spear because it's it's bone has cracks in it you just see kind of like a void light pulsate and throb once twice three times and the black dust that's been around all of you this entire time specifically the dust around you throbs and pulsates almost in response to the light within the bone spear and spokes of shadow uh, web into existence around you from the dust and they gum onto you onto your clothing, onto your feathers, right? Onto the side of your neck. And they don't like hurt you or anything. They just sort of like glom onto you and they exude a kind of like empty smell, the same kind of smell that the hunter and the hound both exude. You get the feeling that you are in a way marked. Until the end of your next turn, Dewey, all damage you take, no matter the source will be doubled. So that's the end of the hunter's turn. You also hear the bone spear go beep, 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 beep. Oh yeah. Go ahead, Dewey. Yeah, at the end of the turn, your hunter has to make a deck save against 17 again. Is this against the immolation? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it got a seven. Are you kidding me? So, okay. It's still on fire and it's going to take 11 more fire damage. That's nice. And it's lit up like a Christmas tree. Fire continues to crackle and something really interesting happens at the end of its turn, V. As you have picked yourself up sprightly, right, as a young summer twig, uh, you see almost like particulates of the hunter's body begin to just erode, turn into dust, almost like what happened with a biku. Almost as if like the more light there is around it, the weaker it gets and the smaller it gets. And you swear it's almost imperceptible, but you swear this thing has gotten slightly shorter. Uh, so now we're going to go back to the top of the order, which is going to be a Biku. A Biku is going to like turn around, like start backpedaling 55 feet and like a badass, like start firing off some arrows. And as I string up my bow for the first one, you see as the arrow forms, you see some like like the electrical lightning energy like form around it as I cast lightning arrow for the first one. Ooh, go for it. I got a natural 20 on my lightning arrow. Ooh, would you like to take full damage and then roll again, or would you like to take a narrative boon, my friend? I want a narrative boon. Okay, what is it? I want to, like, knock this thing off its game. I want it to, like, be unsure about how to, like, keep fighting me. It's no longer smartly hunting me, because it's, like... I want it to feel like it, it got its shit rocked and it's like that it's not used to that happening. Okay. I love that. That will happen. Why don't you first describe what the lightning arrow looks like? Abiku says like under her breath, like sky above aid me. And as it hits, just like you all see this like lightning bolt, like fall like from the sky and hit this thing. And I think even Abiku's like stops for a second like to herself like was that me yeah you hear son's voice go what a piku like in your head did you did you do that and you see the I... skeletal drake like look from you to the hound to you to the hound um i don't keep moving keep moving i don't know okay right, right, right. got it got it got it <laughs> so uh roll double dice for me for damage first absolutely what is 17 plus 18 35 thank you 
<laughs> it takes 35 lightning damage. I'm just going to have Sun, like, fly perpendicular, like, kind of, like, on an angle up, because I want Sun out of the way of this, like, mega breath, whatever. I love that. I have a fucked up idea for what Please. it looks like when you rocket Absolutely. Shit. A pillar nay. A wall of lightning zaps down and, like, hits this thing. And as the lightning clears, you see that the hound has been zapped in half vertically down its body almost Why like you bisect vertically oh, yep zapped in half vertically not like a cat dog situation but like you know <laughs> down like yeah bisected yeah. it uh but it's just made of shadow right so there's like a moment where it just sort of stands there you see like the arrow from earlier in its nose just sort of split open like down the wood beam of the arrow and it splits like that like on, on left and on right side and then it sort of like falls open a little bit it staggers uh, and you see one paw go a little too far to the left, and like another paw go a little too far to the right, and one half of its zapped open body just disintegrates into dust. Just like disappears into the swirling, howling, silent whirlwind of black crystal flying all over the place. It just joins the swirl of the other dust around you, like clouding your vision a little. The other half of the hound stumbles, and half of its massive head, you sort of see like teeth, right? On like the inside of it, where it got like zapped open, oh. like turn and like look at you, but it like sort of like twitches, hops, right? Like one step forward, one step forward, one step forward, one step forward, like kind of like lurching at you. It's definitely off its game. Yeah, 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 nice. Wow. Okay, yeah, I'm, don't ask me, I'm done. Don't ask okay. me. <laughs> okay, I'm that was your enough. turn. Now we're going to pan like a hundred feet backward toward the rim of torchlight to Dewey, where you've got this like shadow, gross gum stuff gunked onto your feathers, almost like you're dripping in tar, making you feel a little slow and lethargic. What do you do? I'd like to redcon something. I think that as Dewey got smacked through the air, he's the kind of person who carries everything he owns in his pockets, right? As he got smacked through the air, I think you just see things like falling out of his cargo shorts. So, while he's covered in this tar, uh, flashback to present, he's got swords on, right? Strapped to his back, long dormant. And he's going to do a thing that I haven't done ever. He's going to take out swords on and stare deep into the very quiet gem in the middle of the pommel. Because this there's a mind already inside this object, he's going to manifest its mind in a spectral form outside of the sword. Okay. What? Can yeah, I can I describe what that looks you can like? Describe it. Okay. You draw sword sun. You can feel the magic, the weave tighten when you draw sword sun. Sword sun's definitely still magical. When you bring it up front though, you don't hear a voice or anything like that. When you look into the pommel, the cracked gem shines, you see like a flash of a face in the blade that's not your own and then the face would have almost like it's pulled out of the blade out into like the air next to you and ribboning into existence is a teen boy fire ganasi boy uh, but spiritual the whole thing is a kind of opalescent and white hair floats around like a kind of sullen looking face he sat cross-legged on the black grass next to you in leather armor that looks very similar to yours. Like if a father had like made a, a version of his own armor for a son, that's kind of the leather he's wearing, but it kind of looks patterned off of you with trousers and boots. Uh, and he's got like a kind of like teen undercut, like a teen queer boy undercut, <laughs> like very like trans mask. You know what I mean? Uh, and he's got a binder on, like underneath his leather armor, he has a binder on. Uh, he looks up at you and he looks like, like Uwalani and you, like put together. You see like a little bit of feathering around like the sides of his face and a little bit of like the, your wide anxious eyes in his eyes, but Uwalani's nose and mouth. He looks like he could be Hana's brother. He looks up at you and says in a voice that sounds exactly like Swordson's voice, but if it had hit puberty. And he says, hey dad. Thought you forgot about me. <laughs> Too busy trying to, what, be a paragon and save the world and stuff? 
Not enough time to spend with me. When was the last time you even drew me? I don't even think you drew me in too long. At all. That's okay, though. I've grown up. You know? Not a little kid anymore. I don't need you. <laughs> I think Dewey just stares in stunned silence. I don't... Uh... I'm really sorry about that. Who... Ooh, you're sorry about neglecting me for what feels to me like years. Wow. It must be so hard for you to be a shitty dad. All I wanted was to spend time with you in Davathathi. That's all I wanted. And you told me to shut up. You put me back in your scabbard. The only times you used me was when it was useful to you. You didn't even care. You never, you never gave me a name. I don't even have a name. You know what that does to someone? Growing up without a name? I can't form a coherent identity. I don't have any hobbies. I'm just on your back all the time. And what? Now you want to you want me to clean up your mess? Cuz you're covered in gross monster goo and can't get out of it without using me as a as a weapon of violence? Well, I don't think so. The one piece of identity I've realized that is actually important to me and is mine, not yours, is I'm a pacifist. Uh, when did that happen? Oh, so now you care. So now you care about my hobbies and interests, huh? <laughs> Sometime after too long, when I saw what happened to the Paragon Killer, I decided all this violence, all this killing and hurt, I used to be so obsessed with killing because I was a sword. That's what swords are made for. That's the purpose of us. We're tools of death, of killing. And I thought it was fun to kill, and it was fun to kill for me, to kill monsters, kill... Things that were hurting the people you loved. Like you, Dad. I I loved you. But now I see that it doesn't matter how many monsters I kill, you'll never love me back. So I'm a pacifist. Oh, okay. Uh, I <laughs> respect that choice. And um, I don't feel like I know you. Um, and maybe that's my fault, but... I... Y you, thi you think? I know so much about you, Dad. I can't not. You carry me everywhere. I saw everything you did in too long. Everything. In the carnival, even. Everything in Dabathati. I know who you are. I know, I know your name is Cardu Quirk. I know you're a paragon. I know you have friends and you're trying to save the world and you had a wife and I have a sister that I've never met and I don't think I ever will because I'm not even really a, a, a person, am I? I'm just uh, one I'm of your tools. Sure. Well, no. Uh, listen, I don't really know what you are either, uh, but I would like to get to know you and I, regardless, uh, I love you. <laughs> Dewey, do you mean that? Yeah. Dewey doesn't throw that around. Mm. The spirit of your sword son looks up at you. Like, through, like, the mop of, like, fiery bangs in his eyes, where he, like, makes eye contact with you. And, like, he, he seems to feel that you're actually being genuine here. Like, this isn't a lie. You're not just saying that to get him to do something, right? And he says, Then... What's my name? Have you called yourself by something? I don't feel like it would be right for me to like march back into your life like this. So you're saying you want me to name myself? You have to have called yourself something all this time. Just sword, but that doesn't sound like a people name. And I, I think I think I want to be a person. Will you, if you really love me, will you try to make me a person? I, if that's what you want. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I want. O okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Then I'll help you. I'll help you if you promise that. And your sword son slowly starts to get up. 
the hair on his head, like, like these like white flames spark up along the crest of his head, looks around and like holds out a ghostly hand. These black particulates of dust float through his body and he like looks wondrously at his hand, like turns it around, like looks at his ghostly arm and says, this is the first time I've, this is the closest I've ever, I mean, I've always had a mind, but I've never really had a body before and all this dust around me. I, Dusty, I think that's my name. I think my name is Dusty. I can work with that. Okay, uh, what do you want me to do? You know what it's like to be made up of pure information. Uh, you want to help me turn into that for a hot second? You want me to turn you into a living consciousness? Yeah, just for like a hot minute and then I'm trying to use infoportation. <laughs> what is that? Which, that sounds made up. Yeah, wait, what did you what just is, use? What is that? <laughs> I'm reading the word, infoportation. I can cause the mind to turn me into pure information, teleporting me to an unoccupied space near the spectral mind or to an item bearing one of my artificer infusions, which is why the shit that flew off of me when I was getting punched through the air. So you want to teleport into the item that's next to the hunter? Yes. What was the item? I think it was he had taken off his ring of mind shielding. Sword Sun looks at you and says, All right, but it's risky. You're you're a person, Dad, and I'm not, so I can travel into the sword and out of the sword with no problem, but if you're trying to get to that thing, you you might not come back. Hey, if you're uh, if you're any kid of mine, I trust you know what you're doing. <laughs> okay, let's do it! Dusty uh. reaches out both hands and just claps you on either shoulder. And Dewey from our perspective, you disappear. You turn into a beam of light and you disappear. But from your perspective, Dewey, one moment you're staring at Dusty who has clapped you on either side of your shoulders. And then the next moment you are inside your ring. It's it's an odd feeling being inside an object, I think, because you're sort of inhabiting like all of it at once. But to compute what's happening to you, your mind like makes up like a fake body inside the ring. So you don't like kind of lose your grasp on reality. So from your perspective, it's like you're suddenly in a black space, kind of like being in the back room in Dabathati in the magical item shop, black all around. But you realize that the blackness has curvature, almost like the curve of a ring. You see like the warped foot of this massive hunter, just like almost like massive IMAX widescreen all around you. And then there's like a feeling like you're inside an elevator and suddenly the elevator is going up very, 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 very fast. And then you pop out of the ring in a shimmer of golden light. And you appear like in like a sparkle next to the ring of mind shielding that had dropped onto the ground. Dewey picks up the ring, puts it back in his pocket and is about to go like, get up next to the hunter again but just as he turns he looks back at swords on and gives a big thumbs up is is the sword itself just like flapping in the air and like floating in the air or is the spirit holding it is the spirit holding his sword i think the spirit is sitting next to the sword on the ground yeah okay uh, i think dusty has actually stood up but the standing. sword is maybe yeah. like um the pointed blade of it has been shoved into the earth like next to him right he's standing there and he's like like waving at you and like shouting you can hear him like across the way go you got this dad kick that thing's butt you did great do we you've reappeared what else do you do if you can do anything i think that's plenty for one turn <laughs> Okay, Dewey, you reappear next to the feet of this hunter, and we're going to pan over to V, who has witnessed every single part of this transaction. This is out of character, but what exactly did you do that turn? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I had a tearful reunion with... <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, um, V sees all of that, and is just like... Uh, she's like, she's speechless for all of her words that she can throw out. I think she almost took like 10 points of psychic damage having watched all of that happen. 
Uh, she goes back to like focusing on this giant flaming burning man pillar. And uh, she's like, all right, all right, time to get back on this. And uh, she starts flying up there and she wants to fly around to the backside of it. But like, she's still figuring out how wings work. So like sometimes she's like a little tilted and like going to the right, <laughs> a little to the left. But she's, she's getting there. She's getting there. She's all right. She's back to treading behind the creature. Uh, she's close enough now to the head. She's going to go ahead and um, let's pretend like it's an, a bow and arrow. She takes like a purple arrow and a green bow. And she pulls it back and like, I'm a Biku and and flicks it. And uh, she's going to cast a level seven fireball thrown at the hunter's head with that arrow. So that's a deck save. Okay. Let's see if I keep 17. rolling poorly or not. I got a 10. What is happening? I'm going to have to switch out my dice. I fail. So that's going to be 12d6. And let me just... 50 points of fire damage, if you will, please. Right on its head. um, Explosion across the head. Just burning of hot white green and as it like dissipates because this will dissipate then you see the sparks of the flames of like green and purple as it dissipates yes its head sort of like tilts a little bit to the right almost like when scientists try to correct the course of a a meteor that's like hurtling toward earth they shoot bombs at it it's almost like a little bomb going off against the side of this like massive head and its head sort of jerks a little bit to the side like real slow and then its head just like gently swoops back into the same position right even as like the fire off of its body continues to roll like dust continues to disintegrate off of its form but the rate at which it's shrinking is minuscule and v i think with like the additional fire that you ah you lob up with this like massive arrow you can tell that it's gonna have to fail its deck save against immolation probably for like a year straight to be whittled down to nothing at this rate right with the remaining of V's time, she's going to like shout out like, look, we're doing some damage, but we're gonna need some brighter light or fire light, anything. Anyone got anything? No, no, I don't have any big light spells I can sustain for a long time anyway. Uh, Rev's shouting and she's like continuing to like whip her scythe around and like carve up this thing's like ankles. Dewey, do you have anything that can light this thing up? Not bigger than what V could do with an explosion. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. What about Galtanger? She's literally the god of light. Uh, you think if she came here, she could, you know, help us out? Okay, but I don't have a summoning spell. You're her paragon, and she's right behind us. Isn't there some way I could call out to the Raven Queen when I was near the weave spun nest? Scott and Nectus were able to reach out to V in, in the carnival. Truly, there's got to be a way that you can call her here somehow, right? I've had... Have you? Did you not see me just have another extremely intense inter intrapersonal moment? I I did. I'm gonna table that for now. Also, uh, V, I'm gonna table the fact that you literally grew fucking wings. Uh, what the fuck? Anyway, I'm just order of priorities here. Can you get Galtanger here or not? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah. Why not? Keep the hunter busy. Yeah, you got it. That's one thing I can do. She winds up her scythe for like a power attack and her scythe grows like really, really, really bright. Like a massive bright black light, right? Comes out from the blade of her scythe. Oh, she like slashes it down. A crescent arc cuts forward and like slams into this thing's like calves and it like, oh, like it reels backward again. Takes two steps back, continuously burning with green and purple flame. So Dewey, what are you trying to do to get Galtanger's attention? I think Dewey faces the direction that the herd would be coming from and has his arms open and he he closes his eyes as if you might do on a sunny day soaking up like the rays of the sun, even though it's dark. You face the sky even though you're cloaked in darkness and these globules of tar have like continued to slough off your body. Open up your feathery arms and entreat the heavens so tell me what are you thinking like what image or like what prayer like are you is going through your mind to try to summon Galtanger I think that he's summoned up the an image of like an open field a clear sky and just him with his kids enjoying a morning Mm. I think we see like 
a flash of like a breeze, a flash of like emerald grass, right? A flash of like the smell of like a sea breeze, like coming off the coast of Wuhanahi, and a flash of like Uilani's like sundress, sort of like the chiffon like ruffling in the wind, and a flash of like Hana's laughing face. And on Hana's like laugh, sort of echoing out, Galtinger responds. But before we get there, Abiku, the hound spliced in half. You don't know how it's still on two legs. There's no physical way for it to actually move, but it's coming after you. Like you see like a tongue half coming out of its mouth, like black, like lolling around, like black tar, black blood just dribbling, like slicking and tarring and sloughing off onto the ground after you. You're trying to lead it to a pit, right? Like you've dug out a pit or something. Uh, just like a separate fighting arena. Ooh, like a separate area. Yeah. 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 At this point, you're like 150 feet away, right? Oh, yeah. Like from the hunter. You're like almost 200 feet away. When you cross the about 150 foot mark, something weird happens to the hound. Uh-oh. Even weirder. <laughs> well, I assume you're like, you're like jogging backward or something, right? You're yeah, like yeah, keeping yeah. an eye on this thing. It's slowed down significantly. Its speed has like halved or something, but it's still coming after you like a fucking zombie, right? Like, blah, blah, blah. And kind of like a zombie that's lost the scent of its prey, mm-hmm. the hound just kind of stops moving. Even though you see those like black, that black pit of fire glowing in its socket stops and it just sort mm-hmm. of stands there. Separated by a distance of maybe 150 feet from the hunter, it stands there and just kind of looks around. You see it's like punctured nose, like sort of like sniffing the air, but it doesn't seem to get your scent. And it's just sort of like twitching and looking. I I walk up to it. Sun, who's still in the sky, you hear his voice in your head go, Abiku, are are you sure? Be careful. It could be a trap. Uh, Well, if it is a trap, then we will find out very quick. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) She's just gonna, she's gonna walk up to this thing, like feed on fire still. You approach it, it continues to... (laughs) I'm gonna try and touch it. Like, I'm gonna keep moving unless something happens. What part of its body are you touching? Uh, the nose. (laughs) Or where a nose should be. Yeah, you reach your fingers forward tentatively toward the nose that's been cut in half, and you touch it. And it jerks a little at the contact, but it doesn't snap at you or anything. Uh, And it it doesn't... It doesn't feel like anything at all. Your fingers don't phase through it. Mm. It's like you're touching a... You're touching a shadow that's taken form. That's what it feels like. There's no other way to describe it. And it just sort of... <laughs> Abiku, would you like to roll Arcana to see what the fuck's happening here? Sure. Hey, it's pretty high. It's 17. 17. As your fingers, like, maybe lift up away from the nose as it twitches its head away, but, like, doesn't seem to almost, like, perceive you, mm-hmm. you think back to when it stopped moving, about 150 feet away from the hunter. And you see the hunter lit up. And the hunter also seems to have stopped moving a little bit. And it just sort of seems to be standing there, it's a massive head turning from side to side. And like a gut feeling tells you that maybe there's some sort of like proximity effect happening here, right? Like the farther the hunter and the hound are away from each other, the more lost they both become. Okay, with that in mind, Abiku is going to move behind this thing and she's going to take out her fan and one swipe of her fan casts Gust of Wind. They will need to make a strength saving throw or start getting be pushed 10 feet every, like, Ooh, so often. Okay. I think it auto-fails the strength save. The Gust of Wind pummels it, and it, it gets pushed in, like, a straight line away from the hunter. And it continues to just stand there. It doesn't seem to take damage or, like, disappear or anything like that, but it just, it seems to just have stopped moving altogether. This thing is really difficult to, to kill, and the hunter even more so, but it's essentially been rendered a neutral threat here. It's mm-hmm. still there, still exuding black dust, still tarnishing the weave and the world around you, but for now, it doesn't seem to be aggroed anymore. Ubiku is like, my job is to keep this thing away, and if it's, this is making it easy for them, she's just gonna, like, ensure this thing keeps getting pushed and doesn't snap back in and start running yeah. 
I think you push it maybe a total of 50 feet, like with just a continuous blows and like whips of your fan. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's when Sun, your head goes, Abiku, something's happening back at the Hunter. I can take care of this thing. I'll make sure it doesn't come back. You should go see what's going on, I think. I don't think okay. you should be missing that. Yeah, uh, and she will start booking it with her fiery feet. And Abiku, as you turn around and run back toward the Hunter, V, you, Abiku, and Rev see light. But Dewey, after you open your eyes from entreating Galtanger, you are no longer in this battlefield. You're in a meadow. Bright, green, almost like the meadow you were envisioning when you were like thinking of what freedom means to you, which is being with your family and not having anything to worry about, not having to run from danger or hide secrets from them. In this beautiful, lush, rolling meadow all around you, there's nothing but the open blue sky, the green grass, the bright gold sun in the air. And as you look up at the sun, it doesn't hurt you to look at the sun. It's just this beautiful glowing orb. And for some reason, I think you're compelled to look back down. And when you do, you see Galtanger. Not Galtanger as the white calf, not Galtanger as a disembodied voice, but Galtanger in perhaps a truer version of her form, a shaft of pure golden light that just seems to like beam down from the sun. Like you looked up and you followed your eyes down and you see a pillar of light. And you're reminded of like the, sh- the shafts of like a sunbeams coming through the gaps in the trees in your dream memory when you were in Karvach's tomb. And you know intimately, this is the godshirt of Galtanger and she is talking to you. My paragon, I hear your call for aid. It echoes to me through the shattered remnants of the prison you've constructed for me. I wouldn't call it a prison, but I could see how you could take it that way. What's different this time, Paragon? Have you changed your thinking about how you and I might work together? Um, yeah, upon further reflection, uh, I regret telling you to just get in the jar. Um, I understand how that could feel a little bit like a trap, a little bit confining. Um, All I I want from you, Paragon, is honesty. Do you or do you not plan to keep me inside a jar for the purpose of keeping yourself safe, yet sacrificing me? Or do you plan to march toward our destiny together and figure a way forward, not as jailer and prisoner, but as equal partners? Uh, the, the second one. Um, my, my pitch to you uh, is that it's sort of the opposite of the one I was offering before, um, where I'm safe at all costs and you might be sacrificed, in in that the jar is sort of a safeguard in case... I mean, you're omniscient, you've seen me walk into a dark back room and almost get murdered, uh, be on a grassy hill and almost get murdered, walk behind a wagon and get murdered. The, the point is, if I die unceremoniously, not in the fight for, you know, the world or whatever, then the, the jar is there for you, so you don't go down with me. A pronounced, like, pause, as she, like, seems to be taking your words in, and she says, As my paragon, your death and mine will be anything but unceremonious. But I appreciate what you're trying to do here, Paragon. I see now that this god jar, as you called it earlier, is not a prison anymore, but a safe place, a haven for me in case things go sour. You would sacrifice yourself and keep me alive? If that's 
what fate has in store for me, I don't think I can... I think that's the best I can do, yeah. I will not allow that to happen, Cardu. Fate may have plans for us, but I, as the God Shard of Freedom itself, I have plans for fate. No one decides what my destiny is aside from myself and my paragon. Do we have a deal? Can you accept me into your soul as an equal? Dewey, um, for a moment, looks around um, at where his like family was just a moment ago in the dream. And in the same tone um, he had when he told the sword son that he loved him, he looks back up at Galtanger and says, I do. You feel like a rushing wind ruffles through your feathers, like opens up your face a little bit more, right? And like, I think your your glasses kind of like rattle a little bit on the bridge of your nose, right? Like your feathers like ruffle and like the light gets brighter. And the last thing Galtanger asks you, Dewey, before something massive happens is, are you scared? Not now. Good. And back in the now, Abiku, V, and Rev, just as I described, the three of you see a massive explosion of light come from, like, the base of the hunter's feet, where Dewey was standing, like, not two seconds before. And you all see, like, from this explosion of light, Dewey, like, fly through the air. Like, his body, like, somersaults through the air. And Dewey, do you want to describe to me what your friends see as you're, like, being flung back by this massive explosion of, of light and force? You see a very bright flash of light, and then just this this small bird form go tumbling through the air, and it arcs through the air and then hits the ground and keeps rolling for a while. And he lands, he stops rolling, and he's face down in the dirt. Uh, and he's he's not moving. And there's just like silence and darkness. And Abiku, you continue to, like, hoof it back, like, what the fuck is happening? Like, V, you hear Rev go, Dewey! And, like, she stops, like, slashing at the thing's, like, ankles and, like, like throws her hand back and, like, Grim disappears and she starts booking it toward Dewey's body, right? Uh, v, what do you do? She's going to, like, swoop around, nosedive, and because, again, she's a little uncoordinated still with wings, she's going to hit the ground hard, but she's, like, trying to basically run and catch up until the wings are like no longer doing their job and help run over to Dewey. Totally. You catch up with Rev, the two of you just like booking it toward where Dewey's just like limp. And we all see the flap of Dewey's like pack lift up and floating out of Dewey's satchel are the shattered shards of the God Jar that Galtanger had destroyed. They just float ensconced in gold light out of the satchel. And you see them like float above Dewey's like chest and piece themselves back together. The cracks are still there, but like Kintsugi, veins of gold seam itself up from where like the, the Godjar comes back together. And the Godjar like floats up uh, above Dewey's chest. And V and Rev, the two of you know intimately, and by this point of being who I feel like you might be able to put some pieces together, that the glowing light is none other than the God Shard of Galtanger itself. You feel that like massive vibration of divine pressure emanate outward from where the Godjar is trying to piece itself back together. And like the light dies down, the Godjar continues to float right above Dewey's above Dewey's chest. And there's like a moment where it's like, did did Galtanger get inside the the Godjar? Uh, and like above Dewey's head, like the god jar like trembles and then falls almost gently onto the ground. But then it glows once, it pulsates and it shakes. As the pulse comes out, it like kind of hits Dewey's limp body and it also hits all of you, stopping you all in your tracks before you can reach Dewey. And Rev goes, ugh! She like throws up a curtain of feathers to like block you, uh, V and her from this pulsation of light. And Abiku, you're hit by it too. And I think you're stopped dead in your tracks. There's a pulse. There's another pulse, and like, I think even Rev, who's really strong, is kind of oh, like knocked backward by like five or 10 feet by this other pulse. There's a, another rattle, like a third pulse, like coming out uh, from this god jar that rattles against all of you. And Rev's just saying, what the fuck's happening? Is that, is she, did Dewey try to trap her again? Dewey, wake, uh, are you awake over there? And I think uh, V's just like, yeah, screaming for Dewey. I think I changed my trajectory to Dewey's body. 
if mm-hmm. I don't see Dewey moving, so I'm... It's, it's like trying to book it to Dewey through, like, just an ocean of tar. It's like you're, oh, like you're, you're making progress, but it suddenly becomes really hard as like this radiant energy seems to slow you down. Like Galtinger's presence doesn't want you to touch Dewey for whatever reason. And Rev's like, ah, I can't get to her. Damn it, Dewey, Dewey, what the fuck did you do? And I think there's like a final shudder from the, the god jar, like that's cracked and has like golden seams and veins along its like form like there's a final shudder uh next to dewey's body and a final last explosion of light this episode of the second stranger was edited by connie chong Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and ExplainTrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out ExplainTrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon Paragons. Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Emma, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Purple Mouse, Scruffisus, and Target.